How does the AI economy works and how is this getting shaped right now? Let's discuss this in this episode of Digital Business Models Podcast. If we look at the AI ecosystem right now, we might look at it as getting actually created around three main layers. As we're going to see, those layers are the foundation layer, the middle layer, and the business consumer application layer. Now, each time a new business ecosystem is forming, we got to ask a simple question, where's value created? And once we are able to classify the ecosystem based on where value is created, we can ask, how's value captured? From the above questions, so from those two simple questions, we can understand the business models building on top of that ecosystem. Since the release of ChatGPT at the end of the November 2022, one thing is clear, AI commercial viability is accelerating, giving us a glimpse into how the AI ecosystem is building up. The interesting thing today, as of uh, January 9, actually is that Uh, probably ChatGPT might have hundreds of millions of potential users already. If you go indeed to the OpenAI website, it's quite interesting because if you look with a very simple tool like SimilarWeb, the traffic spiked from November uh, on, on like 80 million visits per month to actually December to 300 million per month. So let's imagine what might happen in a few months' time. Now, how does the ecosystem look like? Let me explain in detail. Now, let's start from the first layer, the foundational layer. The first layer or foundational layer might be comprised of general purpose engines like GPT-3, DALI, Stable Diffusion, and so on. This layer might have the following key features. First, like general purpose, meaning that it might be built to provide more generalized solutions to any specific need, meaning that, of course, you're going to get those general engines that may be able to provide answer to any sort of question, so they will be uh, quite able to space among various verticals. This layer might be mostly a B2B enterprise layer on one end, powering up a plethora of businesses. So just like, for instance, uh, when we look at uh, AWS in 2010, this uh, actually uh, enabled the rise of applications that uh, generated the so-called Web 2 or Web 2.0 that gave the rise to companies like Netflix, Slack, Uber and many others which were built on top of AWS. Today, the AI foundational layer, which is still based on centralized cloud infrastructures because let's remember that right now if you can use ChatGPT it's because this is sitting on top of a Microsoft cloud infrastructure. And this foundational layer might actually power up the next wave of consumer application. There will be a commercial Cambion explosion which is happening as, we sp as I speak because right now there are like hundreds of tools that each day are getting released, which are AI-based tools. A second element of this uh, really foundational layer is the fact that it's uh, multimodal, and it's going to be multimodal, meaning that those general-purpose engines will be able to actually handle many formats. So they may be able to end any sort of interac interaction, so be it uh, like text-to-text, text-to-image, text-to-video, and vice versa. That, of course, is going to move in two directions. On the one hand, the UX might uh, be primarily driven by natural language instructions, meaning that with uh, natural language instructions or 
how they are called in uh, technical jargon like prompts, uh, those will be the main way for us to actually make the machine work the way we want. And of course, as we'll see, in some, uh, in some cases, the prompt is going to be right in the UX for the final user to actually be able to really make sure that the, the user can customize the application for generated by the eye. On the other hand, as we'll see, the prompt may be actually hidden in the interface, so it's going to work more like code uh, in the backend. So, uh, as we said, you know, the natural language instructions will be a part of uh, the UX and on the other end, as we see, uh, the built-in AI uh, will be uh, used to actually release a set of uh, tools that will help us read, classify and learn patterns from all formats available on the web. This two-way system might bring the next evolution of the foundational model to become general-purpose engines able to do many things. A natural language interface is another aspect of that, which is connected to what we said uh, so far. So the main interface for those general-purpose engines might be natural language. Again, today this is expressed in the form of a prompt or natural language instruction. Prompting, though, might remain a key feature of the foundational layer, it might uh, also disappear, as we'll see from the apps layer, meaning that in the foundational layer, understanding how to make those models work uh, at scale is going to mean also how you can hack prompting so that those models will work better and better on very specific results. And then uh, this sort of foundational layer may be actually real-time, so these engines might be able to adapt in real-time with the ability to actually uh, read and forecast patter patterns as they move into the real world. And my argument is that actually this foundational layer might work as the perfect interface for AR, for augmented reality. So in a single shot, AI might make viable not only like might expand on the existing internet and web layer, but it might make viable also AR. Now, if we look and we go further up this, uh, let's say, let's call it a supply or like a value chain of AI, we find the middle layer. Uh, the middle layer may be comprised of vertical engines. So imagine that uh, here you can find your AI lawyer, your AI accountant, your AI HR assistant, or your AI marketer. This middle layer might be built on top of the foundational layer, combining, combining other middle layer engines able to become great, great very specific tasks. The reason why if you're middle, in the middle layer, you may not uh, want to go for a foundational layer development initially, it's because they may be quite expensive. And instead, what you can do, you can tap initially on the foundational layer, layer to actually build valuable uh, middle layer applications. But of course, let's uh, understand that this middle layer might become uh, the next uh, trillion dollar industry. And if that is the case, so imagine the case that you're going to get uh, the next uh, Salesforce on top of uh, AI. This means that, of course, uh, that Salesforce over time is going to be incentivized to build its own foundational layer. However, it's very important to highlight that the more we go forward, the more the foundational layer is going to get uh, more and more expensive to build, meaning that the more releases we're going to get of uh, GPT going forward or like stable diffusion going forward, the more those general purpose engine will be so powerful that it's going to be very hard to replicate what they're doing. 
Now, this middle layer actually might uh, replicate corporate functions. Thus, the first step in this direction may be an AI that may be able to replicate each of the relevant corporate functions from accounting to HR, marketing, and sales. This middle layer will enhance or may enhance a company, making it possible to run departments that are a combination of humans and machines. And in this respect, data modes, uh, which is another key aspect of this middle layer, will be built based on the differentiation that uh, those middle layers will be able to build on their engines compared to the foundation layer engines. So the fine-tuning of foundation layer layers to make sure that these are adapted to specific vertical function of the organization is how the middle layer player actually initially build a moat on the marketplace. And then we have AI engines as part of uh, this middle layer, meaning that these uh, middle layer players might also have the ability to add other engines on top of the existing foundational layers, integration of specific data, uh, data pipelines to train the models for specific tasks, and the ability to uh, have those models adapted to make them more and more relevant to the specialized functions. And then as last layer, we're going to get the apps layer, meaning that we might see the rise here, uh, here of a plethora of smaller and much more specialized applications for you know, the, the, the consumer um, as consumer applications. As an example right now, take the case of Lensa, which is a simply an avatar, an application on the iPhone that can generate avatars of you as you upload a few pictures and can create, can create poses of you in any other uh, sort of um, uh, you know, combination. So this is a very simple example and it looks more like uh, a dump uh, application like meaning is not doing um, a lot of advanced stuff but as you can imagine this is going to be this is actually an overview on what AI is going to be able to do in the future. So those app layer so how do you actually build a moat on the app layer? Well you do it through like of course network effects meaning that you are able to scale up very quickly the user based and based on that you're going to be able to create feedback loops which is the other aspect so the user's feedback loop may become critical to enforce those network effects now what sort of business models will we see on this uh, ai ecosystem you know in my opinion the foundation layer might be together with new you know might be together you know a sort of a new app store and uh, an aws for a simple reason is because you're going to see a moment in which this foundation layer becomes so critical for all the other companies that are getting built uh, upon it, on top of it, that actually uh, it might become more viable to uh, simply enable anyone to develop on top of the foundation layer rather than through consumption of APIs, which is going to be still an option on the table, more like through the percentage of uh, uh, whatever you're selling through the use of the foundation layer. And then on the other side is an AWS because again, if you're using the foundational layer to actually build your tool and you're using the APIs, for instance, let's say from OpenAI or like that means that most probably you're consuming the infrastructure of someone else and therefore the foundational layer may work also as a cloud sort of infrastructure. Now, uh, the middle layer might instead primarily work as an enterprise business model, so B2B and enterprise since you're going to be replicating the corporate functions. Uh, and then the app layer may follow the three main kinds of business models that we usually have. So it may be uh, advertising-based, subscription-based, and consumption-based, or a mixture of uh, any of this. Of course, you know, the promise here of the AI is that we're not going to be selling you ads or, you know, the advertising model is broken, uh, it sucks, look at Google, and uh, we're going to do it differently. But, you know, it's 
very hard to deny that advertising has an important function. It has had such a function in the last 25 years of the web. It has enabled companies to scale up their infrastructures, enabling like free tools at scale, like for instance, many of the Google tools. So uh, it's very hard to assume that uh, this is not going to be like that in the future. It's more like we're going to see a new uh, business models emerging, but you know, the advertising based business model is going to be an option that also AI players can actually use to grow their infrastructure as well and offer those tools to more and more people. Now, the question is, if we all build tools on top of ChatGPT or similar models, how can we actually build a competitive mod? In, in other words, how can we build a company on top of the AI that has, long, has a long-term advantage and cannot get easily commoditized? Now, that's a critical question to answer and uh, I've been thinking about it a lot. So let me answer in a few key points, which I think are extremely important. Now, in the three layers of AI, as we saw, we, be, we see now the AI business ecosystem might look like in the future. Now, my main argument here is that to create data modes, so to create actually competitive modes on top of the AI, we're going to see a few key elements. The first one is about remixing, meaning that, you know, whoever is building something on top of the foundational models, it can actually remix them to make the final application to look much, much better. Meaning if you are OpenAI, you're not going to be using stable diffusion to build an application. Instead, if you're a company that is building on top of OpenAI and stable diffusion or OpenAI or like stability AI, you can leverage both models or whatever model is going to be available in the future to actually make your application way more effective. So you are not biased, you are quite agnostic, so you don't care what layer or like what model you're going to be using as foundation layer, you can actually mix them up to provide the best uh, you know, uh, user experience possible. So, of course, right now there are still uh, some arbitrage opportunities, uh, meaning that foundational models take like the case of GPT-3 or like stable diffusion, they are good uh, at specific modalities. So GPT-3 is good with text, uh, stable diffusion is good with images. But in the future, those, you know, uh, arbitrage opportunities will actually disappear. As we'll see, for instance, let's say the release of, um, you know, the, the GPT-4 might uh, give us a rise of a, of, a, of a model that is able to handle multiple uh, formats. And therefore, in, in that case, uh, you know, it's uh, um, it's uh, quite uh, good because uh, if you're a startup, you're going to be able to use a single model to do anything. But on the other side, if you're a company that right now is trying to very quickly uh, build uh, something that is multimodal, of course, they may be replaced for what the foundation layer are doing, which does mean that you want to, uh, you know, not to uh, keep doing it. It just means that you have to know that, of course, your main advantage is going to be, as we said, in remixing things up. So being agnostic, so being uh, able to actually uh, build um, um, a sort of engine that can mix up all those foundational layers. So even if in the future you're going to get multimodal approaches of like uh, stable diffusion or, or, you know, GPT-4 or whatever, you're going to still be able to have uh, value added on the market because people can come to you because you're able to remix all those instances to make like a much better tool. Another key element of how you create uh, really advantages in an AI-driven market where a market that it seems to be easily commoditized are like uh, data modes. Uh, now, AI models right now might have become extremely good at many tasks, however, to make them relevant for companies at an enterprise level or for users at specific applications, data, be data becomes critical to enable the model to be customized based on the tech stack. So for enterprise companies, if you have like, let's say, a workflow where you have, for instance, a CRM, 
or like first part the data that you can leverage on those are all uh, important data points that you want to integrate in the AI uh, workflow and then in terms of context uh, for users uh, in order to understand uh, you know how to provide on the edge in the on the edge like the sort of uh, uh, applications that the users uh, the user is looking for so imagine an AI application that is able to get customized answer based on the context of the user where the user doesn't have necessarily to actually uh, give you the context because otherwise if uh, the user has to give you the context each time it's gonna give it's gonna generate too much friction so in that case uh, it means that if the AI company is able to understand quite good like the context of the user on the other side it can generate like um, an um, uh, you know, a, a very customized application for for user to to actually to to use. So, just as an example, imagine the case that you are uh, on an e-commerce um, and uh, you are uh, browsing through to look for shoes. Uh, it may be that uh, you know you're not getting the same experience as others users. You're getting a completely different experience, which is going to be based on uh, on your context. Your context may be you know. Uh, what uh, really uh, it's interesting to you uh, and again this doesn't have to happen uh, at uh, top of the funnel it might be happening uh, on your device so all the data just like uh, Apple does might be on your device but it's not getting stored anywhere else meaning that of course it can be more privacy oriented and yet give you a customized experience so imagine that based on your uh, really interest uh, the recommendation engine can uh, provide uh, quite a unique experience uh, giving you without you searching for it any kind of shoes that actually you're gonna love even if you didn't search for them based on uh, this uh, recommendation of course uh, you know um, if um, uh, if a company wants to build something very uh, specialized uh, this uh, you know needs to be really done with the understanding of the first party data that a company can use meaning all the data that you can use to actually leverage to actually um, customize this model uh, at uh, the beginning of the training and then on the other side also to actually uh, what data can be used on the user side uh, assuming that uh, you know these uh, you know you, you don't need to actually access this data but simply customize on the edge this is going to be quite interesting just like for instance uh, again apple does with the with, uh, with advertising where you're not going to get uh, data that gets extracted from you but it's going to be sitting your, on your device and whatever you want to do with that data you can do uh, the user is going to have complete control for that it becomes critical one uh, data integration so understand what data is really relevant for the AI to become with better specific tasks two is going to be data curation so to understand how to clean the relevant first party proprietary data which can be used to train the model uh, three is going to be about fine tuning so foundational models are very powerful however they've been trained to perform many tasks you can fine tune the foundational model for instance by feeding contextual data and by tweaking these models to generate much better outputs fine tuning becomes therefore a critical to making sure you can build a valuable ai product on top of those existing foundational layers and then a middle layer AI engines, meaning that another interesting element is the fact that as a middle layer AI company, you can still build refined engines on top of existing foundational models. For instance, take the case of a company that builds uh, um, an AI tool for resume generation. You can still add an AI, eng AI engine on top of it, which does rephrasing, further gra grammar checking, plagiarism, and more, which can be value added layer on top of the foundational layer. This, that is how you can transform a standardized output from the foundational general purpose engine layer into something way more specific. Uh, 
Another element is prompt tagging or the new coding uh, paradigm hidden in the, in the backend. For years, neural nets uh, had been stuck until they started to do incredible things. And the most interesting part is most of these interesting things were the result of scaling these networks. In other words, once a new architecture uh, has been employed, the transformer-based architecture, of course, we're talking here, the rest of the work has been achieved through scaling. Now there is a, an unpredictable component to, uh, to scaling. Um, just like uh, when you scale a company after a certain threshold, you don't know how the company might change and what properties might emerge. When scaling neural networks based on the same architectures, various properties emerge. In biology, emergence or how complex system shows completely different behaviors from its parts as the overall system depends upon the interaction between its parts is extremely powerful. And indeed, even in a real world that often looks uh, fractal, the smaller resembles the larger. In reality, the much larger shows properties that are completely different. This is one of the topics that fascinates me the most in business. And this is also what makes AI so interesting to me right now. By scaling AI systems, we get unpredictable emerging properties that for better or for worse might affect the evolution of AI. For instance, prompting or the ability to change the output of AI models based on natural language has been an emergent, an emergent property. No one has coded it into the system, it just came out from scaling these models. And another exciting aspect, I argue, is that prompting does look more like coding than searching or quitting. Indeed, those who compare prompting to search are getting it backward, in my opinion. Prompting is way more powerful and over time it might become something hidden in the user interface rather than shown to final users. In this context, prompt hacking or the process of tweaking the natural language instructions to have the AI model completely revamp its output can be extremely powerful. That is why I'm adding you know, prompt hacking within the key elements to build an AI mode. My main argument is that in a code base that becomes much more commoditized as you know tools like chipit can generate uh, a debug uh, code uh, at scale a prompt tagging might be the core value of the software as it will enable an ai model to slightly improve its output of course for enterprise level applications prompting might be still part of the interface as it gives the enterprise clients the chance to highly customize the input yet there will be a piece of prompting prompt tagging prompt tagging which might be hidden in the ui while for consumer applications, prompt tagging might be completely hidden in the interface, giving users standardized options to customize their outputs because, as we saw, once you have prompt tagging within the UI, uh, you can customize the output of the, the model of the machine of the AI on the edge, meaning that it's going to be based on the context of the user that, for instance, sits on the device of the user. So you're not going to need anything else to actually customize the output. And then, of course, another element is network effects and fast integration loops. So the Internet Business Playbook has taught us that uh, the value of the web app, the, of, a, of a web app may be built on not only its uh, tech, but uh, uh, its ability in general to get better at scale. So you might be using everyday apps like Netflix, Uber, Airbnb, LinkedIn, YouTube, TikTok, and so forth, which uh, value stands in the ability to become better and better the more users join in. This is known as network effects. Would you still jump on Twitter or like on YouTube if you had not such a vast library of content and discovery engine that keeps recommending interesting and uh, engaging stuff to you? Or so just like digital businesses can build their modes via network effects, AI companies can do the same. Another key element is workflow. 
So our company combines all the, uh, what we discussed so far to create fast iterative loops to develop, launch, iterate, maintain and grow AI applications will become the critical mode for the company. Another key element is going to be brand and distribution where technology might get commoditized over time. Branding creates a strong differentiation. So all those points above and uh, that we discussed so far are all key elements of creating data modes. And this is part of the AI ecosystem. I'm going to leave in the notes the full newsletter issue that talks about the AI economy. It's going to give you a full overview of everything I discussed here. It's uh, a nice reading, I guess, because I've been thinking about it uh, a lot lately. So I hope that is going to be useful to you as well.